What's going on, everybody? Welcome to today's Seven Figures Club podcast. As you all know, the purpose of this podcast is to give you the tools and the expertise, the tactics, so that you can join the five to seven percent of business owners that earn or generate seven figures in annual revenue and income. And it's a very fun club to be a part of. And we have guests every single week that give you the value and the steps and the roadmap to get there. Today's guest is. Vicky and Vicky has uh, a lot of different experience. Vicky Brown, here's her bio. Listen closely. She has a passion for helping entrepreneurs. It's rooted in her own entrepreneurial journey, which we're going to get into in just a few minutes. After two decades of leadership roles in corporate America, she founded her own HR consultancy, which is how do you say that? Idomeneo. <laughs> Idomeneo. Perfect. Is that, is that Greek? It is very it good. It sounds very I'm Yeah, I have Greek heritage. Ah, uh, oh, there enough. we go. I do Mayo Enterprises. So in 2001, she was faced with countless questions and challenges, and she realized how valuable a step-by-step -step guide would be. From these experiences, she developed a vision to offer comprehensive, accessible HR guidance and educational resources. The vision led to the creation of the Leader's Journey Experience, an education program specifically designed to equip entrepreneurs and business professionals with the tools, guidance, and confidence to navigate the sometimes complex world of HR in a less complex way. Uh, she's a seasoned HR pro with over 20 years of expertise in human resource management, strategy, and transformation. She's worked in many diverse industries, including tech, entertainment, advertising. She holds the senior professional in human resources certification from the hr certification institute and the senior certified professional designation from the society for human resource management and so many other accolades that i won't uh, repeat all of them because there's too many but vicky welcome to the show there are over 32 million businesses in the u.s and over 90 percent of them will never break seven figures in annual sales so how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club this podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Very excited. So Vicki, we love to find out more about our guests and their journey towards entrepreneurship. And I find there's usually a couple different paths that people have that eventually they become entrepreneurs. What was your path like uh, as you were in corporate America for many years and leadership roles? What eventually led you to decide, you know what, I want to give this entrepreneurship thing a go? I will tell you, actually, I am an accidental entrepreneur. It was it was created for me and I was pushed into the path. So um, I was in corporate America for many, many years. And the last quote unquote job, corporate job that I had was for a technology financial services startup. Oh, we wow. were going for our B round in 2001, early 2001. And if you remember technology in early 2001, there was a bubble that had just burst. So our, <laughs> so our um, our VC uh, back partners said, you guys are doing great, but we absolutely cannot uh, put in more money for another round because the environment is just not conducive to that. 
So we ended up closing the business. Um, and the president of that company, I will refer to him as Nigel, not his real name, but the president of that company actually came to me and said, you know, you were employee number 12 or something. You created our entire HR department. We went from 12 people to over 300 people in less than wow. a year. And wow. he said, and I gave you no money to do that. And we looked really fancy and really fantastic to new hires. And so you've got something here. I think you have a service here. You should think about opening a human resources consultancy where you will provide this service for other companies. And oh, I yeah. said, wow, that's a great idea. Absolutely not. And he said, why not? And I said, because my forte is as the chief HR officer is being number two. I sit on the shoulder of the CEO and whisper in their ear, did you think about this? Did you think about that? How are you feeling about this? I'm their confidant, their HR priest, if you will. And yes. so being number one never was part of my dream or even a thought in my head that I had, a, that that was a particular forte of mine. And he said, okay, fine. And that was in February of 2021. I'm sorry, 2001. And by April of 2001, he reached out and said he had a new gig. He had been tapped to be CEO of the company that was in New York. I had trained him enough that he knew that there were all sorts of HR things that weren't happening and he was not moving to New York. Could I take on the HR assignment as an independent contractor because he didn't have uh, you know, the budget? And I said, okay, fine, part-time while I'm looking for a job, that's okay. He slowly but surely from April of 2001 until August of 2001 added things. First, I was just writing a handbook, and then I was handling posters, then I was handling onboarding, then I was handling payroll, then I was getting a benefits plan for them. And he knew me very well, still does. And he knows that I have this compliance gene. So I was like, I have too much of your confidential information without us having a contract. That's not good. So I need a corporate veil. You need to be protected. So I incorporated. And that was his evil plan all along. He was client number one. And we worked together. Um, they were our client for, uh, as the company continued to grow, uh, probably, I want to say, about six or seven years. Wow, that is an awesome story. And, and that's what it is. When you have somebody you know and like and trust, like you go back to them over and over again because mm -hmm. there's just so much trust and credibility. So for years, you're in a leadership role. You are running HR departments. I mean, people have no idea how difficult that is to go from, you know, 10, 15 employees to 300 in a year. That is mind-bogglingly difficult to find quality people to keep cultures, things that we're going to be getting into in the next few minutes. But so as you were going to go get another job, he said, oh, you've got something special here. And so eventually it became your own business. And then one thing led to another and you started serving other companies and now fast forward, is it, is it 20 years now? It really is. It's wow. uh, actually, we are in year, this year we are 22 years old. It okay. feels like 22 minutes and 22 years all at the same time. <laughs> so I think a lot of our listeners here are, they're small business owners, they're entrepreneurs, and they've probably, a lot of them had that nightmare experience of making a bad hire that ended up not only you know, not getting done what needed to get done, but maybe even put them behind where they were before they started. And so as you are, you know, so many years of, of HR and understanding 
finding the right people is Jim Collins book uh, from good to great, uh, great book in the nineties, right? Get the right people on the bus and the bus Absolutely. can go different directions, but <laughs> we got the wrong people on the bus. We're in trouble. So what are some of that, those secrets to foolproof hiring? So you avoid hiring a dud. Well, first of all, I will say entrepreneurs should not be embarrassed about this. I'm an HR professional. Yeah. I have hired duds. It's happened. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. It happens to everyone. And the important thing is to be able to identify if it's not a fit as early as possible, and yeah. then to really take care of that issue, because it will be a drag on your culture, it'll be a drag on the rest of the team, and your company won't be able to drive forward at the pace that you want it to. So the first thing to do is to really be clear about what you need. It starts long before you actually go out and start looking for people. I know it's very tempting, particularly in the early stages of your business, to say, I need help, and then just reach for whomever might be available. It's not the way to go about it. You really want to take a look at what tasks are you doing, what tasks are, are um, needed, and then who can you uh, where can you slot someone in? What can you off-gas from your plate or from your team's plate? So what really needs to get done? And once you know what needs to get done, then make sure you have a mechanism in place to bring that person up to speed. Because you can have a really great person with really great skills and abilities, but if they never get onboarded properly, they never get any training. There's, I'm a big fan of, of standard operating procedures, so I'm a oh, big yes. SOP, SOP fan. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so if you don't have, this is how we do it, yes, you may get someone who has experience and comes in and knows how they did it before. That may not fit what your expectations are or what your goals are for your organization. So there's a lot of pre-work that really needs to happen that feels like it's just slowing you down, I know, but there's pre-work that ultimately will make that hire 5,000 times more successful than if you just reach for whomever happens to be available. It's also really important that if you have people on your team who are successful now, look at the traits that they have. What's making them successful? Are they proactive? Hopefully. Are they problem solvers? Hopefully. Are they, um, do they have the ability to interface with clients effortlessly? Maybe that's cr critically important for your team. That's important for my team, not as important for my payroll department. So, you know, you really have to yeah. take a look and figure out what needs to happen. Once you know what you need, then you start looking for the person. And I would advocate, because of course I'm an HR person, I would advocate having a job description. I think it's really important to have a clear description of what the key role, the key part of that role happens to be. Your job description is not your posting. I just want to be clear about that. Recruiting is a marketing exercise. You're marketing your company to your prospective um, candidate. So you have to think, you have to advertise. That posting is an advertisement. We are fantastic. Come and work for us. You want to be here. You want to grow your career here. You want to be part of the vision and the excitement that we've got. That's what a posting is for. You want the best and the brightest to step forward and say, wow, that looks like a great company. I want to find out more. So posting a job description is not going to get that to happen. <laughs> so job descriptions are internal documents. The posting is an external document. 
And then once you have that information, you have their resume, they've applied, you're going to sit down with them and have a conversation or do it via Zoom or how, how, however you're interviewing them. Once you're going to do that, you have to prep before the interview. Now, I will be absolutely transparent. Yes, I'm a very, very, very seasoned, long-standing human resources professional. I hate recruiting. I hate it. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. I have an outstanding staffing director and that has saved me many, many times. That's part of my team. But recruiting is a process where there's a significant amount of pre-work you have to do because those questions, you really shouldn't fly by the seat of your pants. You really shouldn't just say, okay, well, tell me about yourself. What you wanna do is you wanna dig in and find out what is the last problem you experienced with a client? How did the, when you had to deliver bad information to a client, how did they take it? What did you say? What was wrong with, what was wrong with that outcome? How would you have handled, how would you have wanted that outcome to happen differently? How could, what could you have done to make that outcome different? What happened after that? How did your management handle it? What, how would you prefer that they handle it? When you start drilling down into those kinds of questions versus what kind of a tree do you wanna be? <laughs> when you start drilling down in those kinds of questions, then you're going to get, first of all, you're gonna get candid, true answers that are not rehearsed. And you're going to be able to find out what the candidate is thinking. What's their thought process? How do they process information? How do they problem solve? And that's really what you want to get at. You want to get at the person. You want to know, yes, you want to know that they have skills and they have experience, but you want to know how they think and how do they come to solution. So that's really important. No question. So a lot of it comes down to everybody listening, comes down to the prep work that you have to do deciding, you know, who are you looking for? And then what are some of the values and principles of your culture? What are the job skills that that particular position has to be able to accomplish? And then having the questions already written down. And like you said, understanding that recruiting is kind of marketing your business. It's you're not actually getting all the nuts and bolts of the job, but then you do have to have all those nuts and bolts and job description well defined find to be able to see if this person is going to be a good fit for that. So a lot of it comes down to, so a lot of the times, maybe when we thought, oh, I just made a bad hire. No, actually we didn't do the job as the business owner, entrepreneur, manager of creating the infrastructure, including what you talked about, the standard operating procedures, the real job description, the real things they need to do. And I'd say probably that one of the biggest keys that you just pointed out that really filters down the culture is I always say there's three types of people in this world. There are people that are really good at finding problems there's another person who's really good at making problems we don't want a lot of them and then there's that third person that's very rare who solves problems and i like that you ask one of your questions it sounds like is asking them when did you deal with the problem last with your last job and how did you resolve it and that tells you a lot about somebody if they're a problem solver because that is that's very valuable Absolutely. And you want, if you're like all of the entrepreneurs that I know, if your listeners are like all the entrepreneurs I know, then you want someone who has resilience. You want yes. someone who can deal with adversity because those problems will happen. Issues will come up and it's not about stopping them from happening. Yes, you want systems in place. You want processes in place. You want to be able to go back and do a post-mortem and find out what happened, what could we have done better and fix it so it doesn't happen again. So you never have the same problem twice. Yes, you want all of those things to happen. 
But the point is, it's not about making sure you've mitigated the possibility of any issues coming up because you're not going to be able to do that. The thing you want is how do you recover? How do you stand up? How do you deal with the issue? Had an issue in my business just yesterday, actually, and um, had to talk to a client. It was a miss that we had. Things happen. And the client was great, first of all, because he said, "You, I've worked with you for a long time. You have a great reputation. I know this was just a miss. So you do want to do your best work 100% of the time because you're going to have to stand on that reputation at some point. Um, but also, we made it right for him because it was the right thing to do. And it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. So you step up, you solve the problem, you make sure it doesn't happen again. And that client said to me, quote, I will never leave you because you guys know how to handle your business. So that's what you want. You want a team that will be able to instill that kind of confidence in your clients that you're going to get the job done. And when and if it comes around that it doesn't happen, you're going to make it right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Making it right when, when a problem happens and being, it sounds like being very upfront and transparent, but also making sure that it doesn't happen a lot. Speaking of problems, it was about seven years ago that I was at the beginning of a previous company that I'd started. And we had gone from maybe zero to maybe 13, 14 employees. And in, in a few months, we were growing pretty fast, uh, getting close up to, I think we were going to do six figures in sales within our first four or five months. So we were making really good strides. And every single Friday, I had this enormous headache that I had put on myself where I was trying to deal with payroll. And for all of those entrepreneurs and business owners out there who may still be in that, that huge hole of overwhelm with payroll, and that's a big part of you know HR solutions, what, what are your thoughts on that? Where can those solutions be found? And, and what is it that, that business owners maybe should consider in finding a real solution with that? Because it was painful. I remember it. It is painful. Um, and there are a couple of ways you can handle payroll. You can try to handle it yourself without the benefits of software. I've actually seen that happen. That is the worst solution. That's actually yes, no is. solution at yep. all. Yeah, um, that's, that's right. <laughs> you can do it yourself and you can use some sort of software like QuickBooks or Gusto or, um, you know, there are a myriad of other Paylocity or ADP or there are a myriad of programs out there. Um, and that's okay except you still are doing data input. You're still responsible for finding out, did the meal period happen? If you happen to be in California, like I am, there are some very fun guidelines around individuals who are eligible for overtime. So between the uh -huh. overtime calculations, the meal penalties, the, oh, you didn't take a break, so I have to give you an extra hour penalty and pay it on this payroll, all of those things, that all of that calculation, you know, you're taking time away from running your business to do math and data input. Um, but that is possible. And if you must do it yourself or you feel like you're really compelled to do it yourself, then I say absolutely. Sign up with one of those services because they will support you. They'll also take care of your tax filings. That's another big fun one. Um, oh, and boy. they'll make sure <laughs> they'll make sure that, you know, your unemployment rate is updated on a regular basis and all of those sorts of things. The best solution is if you don't have someone on your team who can handle payroll, and I don't particularly like to have 
someone on my team internally handling my internal payroll. It's just a quirk I've got. That can be messy. Yeah. It can be messy. So outsource it. You can outsource the whole thing. Now, obviously, I would say outsource it to me. But it, whatever um, resource you have available, there definitely are HR consultancies, payroll consultancies. Sometimes your accountant will have a payroll division. Sometimes your bookkeeping service will have a payroll division. So go ahead and outsource it. Let someone else take care of it. Make sure you're signing the checks. That's also a little quirk of mine. But other than that, you know, have someone else handle it. You don't have time to worry about updating someone's direct deposit. That's just not the highest use of your time. And aside from worrying about possibly how you're going to meet payroll when it rolls around, you don't need the extra added stress of actually trying to calculate it. Exactly. So a few takeaways, everybody. Have software and have somebody who is an expert running that payroll for you. And if possible, if you can have uh, someone like uh, Vicki and her team running that for you, it's true. If you have somebody internally seeing how much everybody's getting paid and then gossip and other things happen, that can be, that can be something that's painful. Something else that's super important about payroll. And you just, uh, you just brought this up, Vicki. I had a client once we we've secured financing for, you know, tens of thousands of business owners. And this particular client uh, was looking for about a half a million dollar line of credit. He was in the Bay Area serving Facebook with staffing, actually. And he thought he would be super smart. And so he was doing the payroll himself. And uh-oh, he forgot to actually send the payroll taxes, Vicky. So it, when it came time to get him financing, we got him like a, a loan. And the entire loan had to go to pay back taxes that he had. Because instead of having the software and a professional do it, he was trying to do it himself. And boy, that didn't work out well. So a really big uh, value bomb that Vicky just dropped for you guys there. Uh, so what are some other landmines that uh, entrepreneurs should try to avoid with HR? HR encompasses a lot. There's so many different ways that you as the business owners of business can be liable if you don't do HR in the right way. What are some of those landmines that we should be aware of? You know, different states have different guidelines and some states don't have guidelines, so they revert to the federal guidelines. So it really is a kind of a miasma of different laws and employment regulations, et cetera, et cetera. My philosophy is if you start with letting everyone retain their integrity as the adult that they are, then that's a great beginning. Now, I know that all of these guidelines can feel really burdensome. I'm a professional in the industry. They can feel burdensome to me. So I completely understand that. And sometimes, again, I will be candid, sometimes you can't hit all of them every single day in every single situation. Maybe there's someone you really need to terminate and you haven't put them through a full warning process. So you don't have all the written documentation for the termination. As an HR person, I prefer that you do. Your employment attorney wouldn't prefer that you did. But if that doesn't happen, then we still wanna make sure that when you terminate that person, they retain their dignity. They're not doing the job that meets the expectations you have for the job. Doesn't mean they're a bad person. Doesn't mean they're a bad worker. They're just not the right fit for that job right now yes. at your company. They may be fantastic for someone down the street. They may be a perfect fit. So 
always talk about the issue, never talk about the person. And I'm kind of getting into my philosophy of how you appropriately terminate a person. But that's one thing that I think is really important. I think it's important because as business owners and as employers, we can become very frustrated because we're maybe we've trained them three or four times on the same thing or answered the same questions four or five times or seen the same problem crop up with a client three or four times. That's why we're letting them go. But we're frustrated. We're kind of at our wits end. And you want to respond as the leader in that organization, which you are, you can't respond. You have to deal with the issue and don't attack the issue, don't attack the person. So that's one thing. The other thing that I see a lot is the confusion around at will. And this goes to-, to I, I was just going to ask you about that because a lot of us have at will um, you know, contracts, agreements mm-hmm. with employees. And we think, oh yeah, it just means you know, at any time, if it's not a good fit, we can just cut the cord and move on. But there's, there's some issues there that we need to be aware of that- uh, doesn't work like that. You are absolutely right. And most people don't know that actually. (laughs) So you're way ahead of the curve. The issue is at will certainly means that you can terminate. um, I work for you. You can terminate me at any time that you want to for any or no reason. I can leave anytime I want to for any or no reason. Now, the thing that will start superseding at will is if you have an employment contract. And by the way, I have a lot of clients who in the past, they don't anymore, but in the past said, we need an employment contract for this new hire. And I'm like, well, what is their job? They're going to be the receptionist. You don't need an employment contract for your receptionist. Reserve employment contracts because they tend to do away with at will. They tend to be pay or play. That's a big deal for you. So reserve your your contracts for your C-suite, people that you want to lock in, that you want to make sure they are not going to leave your organization for a specific period of time. You have a little skin in the game, they have a little skin in the game. The rest of the folks are going to get offer letters, which simply confirm the terms of their employment. So back to at will, the thing about at will is, yes, you can term me for any time, at any time, for any reason, unless it's an illegal reason. So you can't, if, if it's determined that you terminated me because I'm female, then that's an illegal reason because it's discrimination. So there are all of those, you know, those uh, anti-discrimination, anti-harassment guidelines that we all know you can't terminate someone for that. You can't terminate me for retaliation if I whistleblow. You can't terminate me because I went to a government agency and reported something. So you certainly can kind of get in the soup for term- for il- um, illegal termination, even though you're in an at-will state. And then there is something beautiful that most people don't know about called Uh-oh. the covenant of good faith exception. Okay. <laughs> and the covenant of good faith exception, again, this is not in every state, but in many states. It simply says that people are entitled to continue working for you unless you have a good reason, a good legal solid reason for letting them go. And what folks don't understand is the covenant of good faith exception can rear its ugly head when you've stayed solidly within the guidelines of at will because this person, you know, it all comes down to basically how the 12 people in the box decide it comes down, but it could be determined that this person 
not only gave their best effort, but were effectively doing the job and you terminated them. And that could be a problem. That's another reason that your labor council and human resources professional says, let's go through a formal warning process. Let's have some paper behind this. Let's have some documentation yeah. to protect you later on. Yeah. You know, I've got, I'm sure this question I've got here is definitely dependent upon the state that you're in, but I'm just kind of curious what your opinion is having done this for so many decades. So when it comes to employee agreements and non-competes, I've always understood, okay, Hey, I'm the entrepreneur. We we've blood, sweat, and tears to start this business. You can't take all the secrets and knowledge and go start your own business until at least a year or something. That's always made sense to me. But what hasn't always made sense to me, especially, for example, uh, there was a software engineer that we wanted to hire. We're building out a fintech app and he was working at a, another fintech. And in his he has a non-compete that he can't go work for any type of similar company. Um, and he was super scared about that. And so ultimately it didn't end up uh, working out. He wasn't able to come work here and. And so how much teeth do you feel like these non-competes that, oh, you can't go work over at XYZ company? I'm sure there's a lot of legitimate reasons maybe where that falls into place. But to me, it seems like more and more, you know, maybe government agencies, it just isn't, there isn't as much teeth. And, and I almost feel like it shouldn't be, especially, I mean, goodness gracious, this guy got let go for doing nothing wrong. Uh, and working 80 hour weeks for his 40 hour salary. And yet he didn't feel like he could come work for us because he felt like he'd be violating this non-compete. What are your thoughts about that? Well, it's interesting you should mention that because non-competes have slowly but surely been chipped away at, and now they're being chipped away at the federal level. Yes. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, I think in a couple of years, non-competes will simply not be viable, period. Now in California, again, where I am, that's been the case for a long time. Um, early on, particularly early on in the technology world, um, you know, non-competes were rampant. But slowly but surely, the parameters started getting narrowed down. And they were narrowed down by the courts because people came in and said, I'm, an, I'm a software engineer. What am I going to do if I can't be a software engineer? I won't Seriously. have the ability to make a life for myself. So that slowly but surely was narrowed down. They started putting restrictions on how long you could lock someone up. Then they started putting restrictions on what geographic area you could lock them up in. So you can't work for a um, fintech within 10 miles of the company you used to work in, but you can work for it in Los Angeles, you know, if you're in San Francisco, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but again, that was many years ago. For a long time in California, non-competes have not been viable. As a matter of fact, to the point that the guidelines in California have been, if you even put non-compete language in an offer letter or an employment agreement, even if you have no intention of enforcing it, you can be fined for simply putting the language in there because it casts a chill on the candidate to make them think that they can't go and work someplace else. So, um, and slowly but surely, the rest of the nation has started following California. And, and it is true right now. And again, I'm not an attorney, so I will say that again, but it certainly is true that for the most part, non-competes are 
are kind of a non-starter. There are definitely some states where it still happens, but again, they are slowly but surely being more and more restrictive on what they can cover. You know, Vicki, I think that's right because I don't have, for the last five years at our company, we don't have any non-compete about you can't go work somewhere else. I figure if we're not providing a good enough spot for you to work and you feel like you can do better somewhere else, then that's on us. And I also feel if it's not a good fit, we need to, you know, let you go, then that's okay too. You mm-hmm. you can still go work somewhere else. It wasn't a good fit. And and so I feel like that's the right direction that everything's going. And yeah. unless, you know, you have some top secret pharmaceutical patent that you spent decades on, then I I, I get that. But for the most part, what, what were you going to say? I was actually going to go down exactly that road. I was going to say now the thing that you should be cognizant of is intellectual property. So yeah, certainly you want to sure. lock down your intellectual, your IP. You absolutely want to do that. And certainly you want to be clear that they cannot use any confidential information at a competitor or another organization. So they can't take things with them. They can take their talent but they can't take your data and your information and your proprietary process um, or software, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely lock those things down, but you can't tell someone, I mean, you can in some instances right now, but I don't think it's going to last very long. Tell someone that they can't go across the street and work for your competitor if they're no longer working for you. In fact, in California, and this came up for me this week, um, it's been a busy week. It's only Tuesday. Um, it is. This came up for me this week. Someone was saying, oh, I have this uh, person who's working for us and she's working for another company as well. So we can't bring her on as an employee. That's not true in California. There is no mm-hmm. illegal moon, moonlighting in California. An employee can work for as many companies as they want to, as long as there's no conflict of interest and as long as the IP is being protected. I can't tell my executive assistant that she can't have a job someplace else. I like it. I think it's uh, I think it's fair. Well, for the audience, everybody listening, it's been a great conversation. I've learned a lot just listening to Vicky's decades of experience. And for everyone out there who's a small business owner, entrepreneur, building something, you know that HR is probably not in your wheelhouse and that you should be utilizing the professional assistance of someone like Vicky and her team. Vicki, um, if somebody was looking for that type of service or more information, where can they go to get more information about how that might work working with you? Sure. They can go to morehumanmoresources.info. And that will take them directly to Edomineo. We have a number of ways you can get to our website because Edomineo can be difficult to spell. But um, so morehumanmoresources.info will get you to us. I like it. Morehumanmoresources.info. And you look can look for done for you human resources uh, because DIY is not a solution at all. That's right there on the website. There's resources the about services, everything. You can reach out and take a look at this. And I have to say it makes sense on so many levels because HR isn't isn't something that you can decide whether you want to add. You have to have HR or your business is going to be in trouble. You need help with payroll. You need help with all the legalities and having someone in your corner who understands that is going to allow you to actually run your business instead of getting stuck with all the things you don't understand. And so it's just like anything else. If you 
you know, have a, a medical issue? Are you going to hope WebMD can fix it out? Or are you going to go get the best doctor? And I know if you're accused of a crime, you're going to go get the best attorney you can afford. It's the same way. If you want your HR done the right way, then you're going to want to go check out morehumanmoreresources.info. And Vicki, the last word is yours. It's been a great conversation. Uh, what's your last word in terms of maybe a trend or or just, just something that you see that's happening within the human resources that entrepreneurs maybe should be thinking about as we, you know, jump closer to the fourth quarter of 2023? Sure. Uh, I don't think it's any surprise to everyone that the marketplace for talent continues to be exceptionally tight. Um, mm, it is it difficult is. to find um, good people. The process of interviewing people has changed quite a bit. Um, sometimes you don't get all the responses you used to get. So the yeah. marketplace is, is very different. Uh, the salary ranges are very different. <laughs> so very all of those different, things are happening. Yeah. But the thing that is consistent, that lives on, is culture is the thing. You want to attract talent to you. If you create an environment and a culture where you can attract talent, then that solves, that goes a long way towards solving those other issues. And I think in a lot of cases, it's more important than an extra 5,000 here, an extra 10,000 here. Someone would much rather be in a wonderful environment that they look forward to on a Sunday evening, being excited to go into work on a Monday because they love the team, they love the culture, they love what they're doing. And more and more, you see that with the younger generation too, right? They want more purpose-driven work. And as Ray Dolly would say, meaningful work and meaningful relationships is the key to having a meaningful life. And work is such a big part of our life. Well, Vicki, thank you so much for all the value bombs that you have dropped on the community today, Seven Figures Nation. Thanks you. And everybody, make sure you're taking action. This is not a passive podcast. Listen Again, implement everything Vicky's talking about. Check out her website and make sure your HR is working the right way. And we'll see you next time on the Seven Figures Club podcast. Are you looking for more seven figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F I G U R E S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.